Ever since uh, I was in seminary, one of the big things that, that I find that, or that was really pushed and encouraged throughout our time in seminary was making a daily holy hour. That is, praying uh, before the Blessed Sacrament. And one of the things, as especially it's very important as priests to do that. And I remember my rector really emphasizing that point. My rector being kind of the head of the seminary formation and really driving home the point of it's, uh, it's so important that you take time, set aside, to pray, to be with Jesus alone in the Blessed Sacrament. And one of the things that he kind of, he kind of emphasized, one of the things that he kind of really pointed out was that that time nourishes our entire life. I got to admit, I didn't really see it that way always. In fact, it was very hard to see it that way. It was very hard to justify taking an hour every single day of my life to spend before Jesus in the Eucharist. Not an easy thing. And it wasn't until I joined the Navy that I really saw the fruits of taking time to basically sit and kneel before our Lord Jesus Christ. See, in the Navy, one of the things that, that I've learned, especially talking with Bishop Mum and a lot of my fellow Navy compadres, is that going from civilian ministry, especially civilian ministry in an amazing place like Lafayette, Louisiana, where you li we're living in a Catholic bubble, to naval ministry, kind of institutional ministry, where you're living in anything but a Catholic bubble, in fact, quite the opposite in many ways, can be a very jarring experience. In fact, I remember one just recently, a fellow chaplain who's never been on a ship actually specifically asked me and said, hey, is it spiritually draining to be on a ship? And ironically, I didn't think I would ever, ever able to say this, but I answered to my own surprise. Actually, it was beneficial for me. You see, my time on the ship, and I think a lot of time, a lot for a lot of Navy chaplains and even people, our time on the ship can very much image and very much look like, if you will, these two men in the Emmaus walk, these two men in today's gospel. So you have these two men, disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of the Savior, worshipers of the Messiah. And what happens? They follow the Messiah, they follow him all the way to Jerusalem where he takes the throne as King David, and then what happens to him? He gets killed. Their Savior is stripped from them, taken away, gone. And what happens to them? They're left sad. Their former way of life was completely stripped away from them, and they don't know what to do. And that's kind of how I notice a lot of people feel whenever they experience major changes in their life. Whenever we have loved ones that are lost, Whenever we have to change jobs, change duty stations, move away from friends, these things hurt. And we can very much find ourselves looking like the people in Emmaus, looking like these two men walking in despair because the people that they love are no longer with them. But something happens. Something happens while these men were walking. Jesus appears to them. And I think this is an important point for us to recognize. You see, my friends, very often I think we, we tend to look, whenever we're sad, we look for comfort. We look for medication. We look for ways to distract ourselves. But the reality is that Jesus wants to meet us in the sadness. He wants to meet us in the sorrow. He wants to meet us in the grind. He doesn't want us to run away from Him. He wants us to run toward Him. 
And that's what Jesus does for these two men. They're walking away sad. They're walking away confused. They're walking away wondering what's going on. But they don't turn to their former way of life. And what does Jesus do? He rewards them. He goes in and he meets them. Now, the meeting is not all roses and dandelions here. What happens? He goes and he meets with them. And he, you know, he, he, said, he asks them how they're doing. They explain our, our Savior is gone. He's lost. And then all these weird things are going on. We don't really understand it. And what does he say? Oh, how foolish you are. He lays into them. He lets them have it. How foolish you are. How slow to heart to believe that all the prophets spoke. Guys, that's how God works with us. I think we get this weird distortion that, that Jesus is going to just all of a sudden just come in and make everything better. He will. But after, he's got to beat us up a little bit first. He's got to recognize, he's got to show us that we've been messing up. That we're the ones being fools. That we're the ones being ridiculous. And so Jesus allows us to fall and he allows us to get beat up. And that's what happens to us so often is we ultimately have to learn a lesson. So what does Jesus do? He says, he wounds them, if you will, how foolish you are, and then he heals them. He lets them know, all right, this is what's really going on. And he proceeds to break open the scriptures to point out how all of the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. Whether we're talking about Isaac, the firstborn son of Abraham, Jesus being the firstborn son of God. Whether we're talking about David, the king of, really, the king of the kingdom of God, really not, not kind of his kingdom dying away, but Jesus coming in to fulfill it. Whenever we're talking about being raised from the dead, where is that found in the scriptures? Where is that found in the scriptures? Jonah. Jonah and the whale, where he was swallowed up by the whale, goes down to the pit of Sheol, dies, and then is raised to life and converts a pagan nation. Converts a pagan town, the town of Nineveh, much like Jesus' death, resurrection, converting the city of Rome, allowing us here to be Roman Catholics to this day. Ultimately, what Jesus does, he breaks open the scriptures, and then their eyes are open. But then something else happens. They encourage him, stay a little bit longer, stay a little bit longer. And then he does something very interesting. He does something very mysterious. He takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it. Take, blessed, broke, gave. Those four words are words that we hear every Sunday. He took the bread, he blessed the bread, he, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. These four verbs always, always, always indicate the Eucharist. They always point to the Last Supper. These are the four things Jesus did at the Last Supper. These are the four things Jesus did whenever he fed the 5,000. These are the four things Jesus is doing right now. In other words, what he's doing is he's confecting the Eucharist, the bread that becomes the bread of God, that becomes the body of Christ. Jesus ultimately reveals himself in the Eucharist, and then what happens? He's gone. My friends, what we see right here at this moment with these men in distress is the very first Mass. The very first Mass through and through. Mass where you come in, walking along after having been beat up by the world, beat up by our lovely Navy institution. Come on in, hear the Gospel, hear the Scriptures, hear how ultimately God is in our lives, and then the, the, then the Eucharist is confected. Bread is taken 
blessed, broken, and given. Ultimately, it's through all these actions that you and I have the Mass and ultimately allow Jesus to heal us. But if I'm going to be honest with you, totally transparent, it wasn't just the Mass that sustained me on the Ike. It wasn't just the Mass that sustained me on the ship. The Mass was invaluable. I needed the Mass. The Mass was exceptionally important. But the reality is this Mass can sometimes be a little bit quick. Mass can sometimes be a little bit fast. If we're just praying and we're just doing Mass, wonderful, phenomenal start, but not exactly the greatest finish. Ultimately, Jesus is calling us to something more, and that is revealed ultimately at the last line of this passage. What do these men say? These men recognize that Jesus the Christ, through the breaking of the bread. This is what they, what they say. The two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he made known to them the breaking of the bread. What does that mean? These men didn't know it was Jesus just because they, they saw him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't know he was Jesus just because they broke up with the scriptures. He could have just been a really smart guy. They didn't know he was Jesus until they saw him in the Eucharist. And my dear friends, our church gives us a way in which you and I can encounter Jesus in the Eucharist on a regular basis. And that practice is a practice known as adoration. Adoration is the opportunity for you and I to come together to kneel before the Lord and to gaze upon the Eucharist placed inside of a monstrance. You might notice if you come to Mass early on Sundays, you might notice that that's kind of going on. That we have the Eucharist placed in a gold, it really is brass, unfortunately, but you know, a gold-looking monstrance that ultimately displays the glory of God. And what do we do? We come in, we kneel, and we pray. And what does that do? That ultimately gives us the opportunity to allow Jesus to reveal himself to us. Guys, that's what ultimately got me through and ultimately helped me see the beauty of God. That's what ultimately kind of helped me at least experience kind of the gifts and the blessings of God on an otherwise very difficult deployment. It wasn't by, the, it wasn't by you know, just working out. It wasn't by making friends. It wasn't by you know, getting along with my command. These are important things. But fundamentally, what brought me back day in and day out and what allowed those difficult times, those difficult experiences to ultimately bear fruit was adoration. Every morning we had adoration from 5.30 to 6.30 and it brought us together as a Catholic community. And every morning what happened was ultimately we allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to heal us of the woundedness that we experienced, heal us of ultimately the, the disappointments that we had throughout the days before and allow us to see that even in the setting of a naval warship, even in the setting of anything but a Catholic bubble, Jesus Christ was still there. And Jesus Christ still reigned supreme. That's why to me it's so important that we have adoration here at this chapel. Which is why I make a commitment every day to come at 6.30 in the morning to expose the Blessed Sacrament and repose Him at 7.30 in the morning. It's why we still do adoration, ultimately right now to this day, on Sundays from 7 a.m. until 8.45. And my friends, I cannot encourage you enough to come during that time. Coming to Mass is important. Coming to Mass is irreplaceable. It's essential. But to come to adoration is ultimately an opportunity that allows the Lord Jesus Christ to heal you and me of the wounds we've sustained and allow Him to reveal Himself to us 
like these men in the walk of Emmaus through the breaking of the bread.